right. Welcome back to another Future of Church podcast. I am Christopher. And I'm Joe. Hey, there we go. We got it. That nice. That We practiced that backstage. And we uh, we'll get this perfected in the next one. But we are continuing to, well, this is actually the first official episode. The last one was kind of a description of what we're doing. This one, we thought, you know what? Let's get canceled right out of the gate and let's talk about a topic that might set some people off. Um, not really, but we're continuing to explore the landscape of what happens when technology meets culture and faith. And so this one was a topic that I had thought up that I said, Joe, let's talk about this one because I know this has been a heavy topic especially when the pandemic hit, because all of a sudden churches were challenged with this idea of, well, now people are virtual or they aren't coming locally. And then when we were going back, what does that all mean? And some of the debates I often heard were like, well, can church be virtual or not? And I've always felt that's the wrong question to be asking because there's so much going on to try and oversimplify it into this binary thing and then say, is it this or is it that? Just isn't terribly helpful. So I thought we would break it apart a little bit and just talk specifically on this one about really kind of the sermon itself and what that looks like, what it means, the value it adds, and then start to explore how could technology potentially change that. And maybe it augments it, maybe it replaces it, whatever. And I think we'll have different perspectives on this, but Joe, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the... Uh... The sermon, for sure, for a lot of people, is kind of the central set piece of, you know. It is. A lot of times it's like the main attraction. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, here's the highlight. This is, for some people, this is why we're here. Um, While knowing that for some others, it's it's not so much. So um, it'll be interesting to see how people respond to this as it, you know, gets out and, um, you know, what kind of feedback we might get on it and even as... You know, we talk about it with other people in our daily lives where it goes and where it grows from there. I, I can just say I've had lots of conversations about this and sometimes it's just like a nice chat and other times it gets pretty tense real quick. So yeah. the benefit is the two of us can just talk this through and then if people get mad, they can email us or message us or whatever. And then we'll, yeah. we might have to come back and do another one to clarify or see where we go. But I'm actually curious because something you said before we hit record Um, And to give some context, I think this is something that's important to both of us because both as learning professionals, we've seen kind of, we've both been in the classroom and we've also both been digital learning leaders. So we've had this kind of, well, when do you use different modalities and what makes sense for these kinds of things? And for me, I actually said one of the challenges I have is it's not the best medium for content consumption. And you challenged backstage and you said, well, but I don't necessarily see it as content consumption. So I'm actually curious from your vantage point, when you think about what we said, the main events, you come and it's the the presentation. This is the main message, the main course of the event. What is that for you? Yeah, so I have adopted or developed kind of a framework for worship services as a whole. So I'll stray a little bit from the tight focus, then we'll come right back. I promise. Um, Hey, I'll pull you back in if you go where, you know, everything in, you know, and I'm talking of course about a traditional gathering, we're coming to a building, we're seeing other people. Um, everything from front to end is worship and worship by its nature to me is participatory. Um, and 
you know, and I think in a well-designed worship service, everything ties together so that that sermon isn't a standalone functional um, in and of itself. And two, like to be a purely passive um, consumer of that sermon to me, misses the point entirely. Um, consumption is a component, sure, but even in the moment, thinking through, you know, taking some opportunity to discern: Am I reading what this person is saying? Is it is it jiving? Um, what other scripture does this bring to mind for me? Oh, that's unexpected. The direction he went with that, um, or she, um, just to be clear, uh, <laughs> and. Um, Careful, you'll get the egalitarian, you know, that whole I know, thing. I we're not getting into that topic today. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, but just yeah, that idea that if you're coming into it, and I and I and I know you're not, you know, things I'm describing are things that I know you do, but um, you know, I try as a as a discipline for myself not to think of that as a purely cons. Uh, computer, a purely consumer, passive consumptive, process. and how how do I how do I interact with it in real time, and immediately following um, as well. So um, that's it's probably more of a language distinction than it is an ideological distinction. <laughs> yeah, but, no, it's a, it's a fair point. I think my challenge has always been, I agree with what you're saying in an idealized state which is like, this is ideally how it should be. My experience in kind of the traditional institution though has been that really is never how I've experienced the sermon set up. And again, even the things you described to me are still very individualistic. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, even if I'm listening to it and I'm thinking about all these things, my challenge, and this doesn't just have to do with a sermon, my challenge in general is if you're pulling people together live for anything, there should be a contributive collaborative component because you're asking people to commit a set universal block of time to be together. And so if it's truly an isolated individualistic thing where you go, I'm sitting, I'm listening by myself, I'm thinking these things, I'm breaking that down. It to me just has always brought up the question of why does that have to be live then? Because what really value is the doing this in community and doing it live adding to it? But I'm not saying I'm right. That's just been my experience. Yeah. And and I think some of that is, um, again, not to stray too far off, but to me, that's that's why the context of the overall service from beginning to end is so important. Um, but also why it's interesting to take this component and kind of pull it out and kind of play with it and look at it and say, you know, is this something we pull out and we keep it out? And we do something different with it, or is it something that we can reconfigure and put back in, or recontextualize and put back in? Um, because you know, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, thinking about it through the lens of a you know educational professional, um, we do that with our programs all the time. We go through the whole thing and we say this whole thing needs to be unified, but this one component it's making me scratch my head. Yes, what do I do with that? Um, and so where I have. I guess it's trying to express, I have kind of a fundamental difficulty, not an inability, but a fundamental difficulty in extracting it. Um, it's still a, a useful 
you know, endeavor to, to kind of, to kind of pull that out and, and, and see what's going on with it. Um, and there's a couple of other good reasons for it. I think to at least engage in the activity is one, um, uh, our kind of our, our participation, our, our, I'll talk about my church, the members at our church, you know, we'll have people say we're here because we love the biblically based teaching that we receive. It's clearly huh. embedded in God's word. We love it. We're fed by it, whatever, but we don't really, we don't really like the worship. It's too slow. Huh. It's too traditional. It's too, whatever it is. And it's, and in my head, I'm like, right, but it's all worship. Like the whole thing as a package <laughs> is a whole thing. But we, I know that other people by that expression are extracting that piece out. And it's not that they're not, considering it worship explicitly, but they're clearly dividing the music and the corporate prayer and the things that are obviously participatory where we're all doing yeah. it together. And they're seeing, I want more value from that. But I also see a lot of value in this, which is different in, in the way that you've described. It's not participatory and mass like the other components are. And so clearly people are experiencing it differently than I am um, yeah. in, in that space. Um, and then the other reason, and this is also leads into the technology discussion. Um, I help teach our membership class and, uh, it, it would take more than my two hands to count up the number of people who are members at our church now who come in person faithfully and worship faithfully with this congregation that they've, um, aligned themselves to who came because, they found our live stream. They listened to, yep. they participated in worship at home. They listened to the sermon at home and said, this is a place I want to plug in. And they come. And those are the people that you now see serving as ushers, as greeters, as you know, whatever capacity. Um, and then as recently as this last week, um, heard a story of another, another guy, I know his son, um, drives one of the neighbor boys back and forth to school and that yeah. neighbor family um are atheists through and through and like they don't allow their kids to go to church well their son okay. has been <laughs> tuning in and listening been watching to sermons and it's like i love this and he's hungry for it and it's giving that person because you usually think about you know, your shut-ins, your people who can't leave their house, your people who, for whatever reason, like they're sick, they're home that week, they can't show up even though yeah. they normally could. But then there's also this group of people who can't, like they're not allowed to. And or literally because of historical, well, or even, I mean, I know that I know a lot of people that I've encountered who are, have left the church. And because of that, there's like a shame with that. They actually mm -hmm. don't even feel comfortable. Like, they wouldn't feel comfortable just walking into a church yeah. going, here, I'm just going to show up this Sunday and, and see how it is. And that's where I actually was really encouraged in the pandemic, how many churches did spin up. Yeah. You know what? Hey, let's make this available to a broader audience. But then I saw some of the reactions of, well, great. Now we have people who just are watching it online and they're not participating. And to me, I was like, well, that to me systemically tells you that people felt that they were just coming for a passive consumption thing. And if you're just going to passively consume it, I mean, you might as well be watching it at yeah. home because if that's all you're doing, then really being there live isn't necessarily adding anything. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's a really key point. You're talking about how a lot of churches that were able to very quickly move to um, online church because either they were already streaming or they just have the ability to get the technology and get it set up and start using yep. it. Um, you're talking a lot about churches, I think, that are um, uh, that are larger. Um, there's a whole, I mean, there's been books probably, but there's one in particular that we've had reference at our church a few times that talks about church size dynamics. And essentially it talks about how the bigger your church is, the more professionalized it needs to be and more specialized your ministers and your ministry leads, because there's just that much more um, administratively and logistically that needs to be handled. Um, and when you hit something, you start doing that, um, a lot of our long-term members at the church that I'm currently at, and I see it at my parents' church too, you know, notice that the more, the bigger you get and the more professionalized everything becomes, the less incentive there is to participate in ministry because we're paying people to do this. Why do you need so many volunteers? Um, the okay. need isn't visible. And then the church continues to grow and you know, the, maybe the budget doesn't grow with it or the opposite happens when the church starts to shrink and now you can't necessarily afford all the people that you're doing. And, but you've inoculated your entire population to the idea of serving and volunteering and being a part actively in the body. And so to your point, you show up at church and there doesn't look like there's anything to do. So you just walk in, yeah, you do your thing and you walk out. Those same churches um, when you different churches that I've seen, the ones that at least appear to be thriving more than uh, others are ones who are very vocal about, you know, here are opportunities to serve. Here's all this. And I know we're getting a little bit away from the sermon, but yeah. so we'll, we'll uh, I'll kind of end with that thought, but that idea of that whole ecosystem working into this again, central point there because it in and of itself doesn't provide a lot of incentive to be and participate on its own. And then there isn't anything else that's obvious and present that says, oh, it's worth coming for this though. And so I'll be here for the sermon too. Um, I, yeah, you, you start to wonder, how, you know, when you pull that out, what's, what can you do with it? Well, and I guess I just look at it and go, with the amount of technology that I've experimented with and worked with and done different things, I, I feel like I don't feel like any church attendee should even have to have the experience of, yeah, I love all this other stuff. So I I'm fine sitting through the sermon too. Like, I really feel like there's more opera. And I know that's not what you're saying, but right. I feel like there's more opportunity to say, going back to what you originally suggested of, Hey, it's, sh we should look at church. And again, there's big church, little church, right? right? It, the church experience holistically. And when I think about other components of it, I think churches put a lot of emphasis on making the rest of the experience engaging, participatory. I think about the effort that goes into worship and the music part. So not to not to get yeah. hung up on the different side of worship, but right, the, the worship part, the connecting with other believers before and after services, things like that. And then I look at the sermon part and I go, that's about as static as it can get. You know, it's, it's sit down, be quiet, 
mm-hmm. and just listen. And I feel like there are ways that we could make that better and more participatory to fit into the bigger experience rather than just going, well, this is the part you just need to kind of quietly sit and passively listen to. But that's yeah. that's my take on it. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, you know, we're, we're kind of nosing our way back into the church size dynamics thing too, because we also know the larger the class size, the harder it is to, you know, get real good engagement out of, you know, what's going on. And, you know, the, and I, I know just, I thought this was connected, so I'll say it. Um, maybe I can reestablish the connection, but, you know, just that idea <laughs> of even knowing that, you know, when we're missing worship, you know, a service for some reason, we're never, Becca, my wife and I are never talking about, oh, we, we should really go back and, you know, listen to the music and, you know, go, go through those prayers and the responsive reading and, and really get a sense of what it was like to be there. Cause, and I think it's cause we know we can't recapture that. Um, yeah. Whereas the teaching part, we know we can consume that whenever we want and it'll right. catch us up so that we don't, so that we know what the narrative has been <laughs> you know, from a teaching perspective. Um, but the reason I was, but, and so that stands out um, as another kind of, you know, what's, you know, and that's the big difference. One's participatory, the other one isn't. So you can recapture one, but not the other. I mean, the other part is yeah. very experiential. Right. You think about the other components, they're very experiential. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you get your larger churches and why there's such a huge emphasis on small groups, you know, no one's saying, oh, and the, you go to small groups and you, th- you consider the whole of the worship service you attended, but there's a lot of churches that um, will say, well, here's the sermon conversation guide. And so the things that aren't participatory in the moment become participatory in the small groups. Um, but again, you have that distinction of we're not trying to, you know, make the, the other worship components smaller. We're only trying to make the sermon part smaller and uh more applicable in that space um you know i know i've had and this this is maybe getting closer to a you know what's what's joe's vision for how some of this could be well because i i I was going to ask you my kind of hypothetical and be curious especially as a leader on the elder board what resistance there might be to this so but finish your thought and then i actually want to position something to you and see what would be the reaction of church leaders yeah. on this one. So in, in, and this is keeping with a large church setting, small church setting, I have a different thought process on, but in a medium to large church setting, you know, we have just for perspective, we average about just over 200 adults in each of our services right now. And we have two on Sundays. Um, but even at that scale, my thing is if we want to talk about growth and how God is working you know, we we're sitting at 30 to 45 minute sermons, I think, which is pretty standard for a lot of churches that are in that more traditional yeah. mode. Um, like, why can't it be 20 minutes or 10 minutes and replace the whole rest of that time with um, serving opportunities, testimonies, open prayer, um, you know, a lot of things that would be a lot more participatory where the sermon really becomes more of a nugget. Like here's a, yeah. here's a thing that goes with the rest. Let's 
pause and contemplate and meditate on God's word. It's almost like a 10 minute guided meditation <laughs> more so than it is, you know, you know, a big, uh, sermon, um, yeah. and space. And then, you know, have that time repurpose that whole rest of the time for, you know, testimonies, fellowship, prayer time, and, um, and something that's a lot more organic, but still relationship building things yeah. like that. That doesn't just release people out to the lobby to talk to people they already know Correct. and leave. Structure, um, structure. Because, yeah, yeah. Because one of the things I heard recently that's been stuck in my brain is one of the values of church, at least to this one person, was and coming together in a building is it forces you. You know, you're volunteering to be there, so it's not really forcing, but it's having you interact with people that you wouldn't ordinarily choose or have the opportunity Correct. to choose in your daily life, and so it can expand your um horizons on that but i don't know what your hypothetical was but i can say to mine that would make people extremely uncomfortable um starting with the pastors who have been training their whole career to teach 30 to 45 minute sermons um and yeah. how do i condense all this important stuff into 10 to 15 minute chunks um you know and yeah. and and make that happen um, one of the service I wasn't able to go to, but that we had a lot of actually really good feedback was where instead of one sermon block, um, the pastor actually broke it up into those smaller chunks and had it coordinated with what was going on with the worship music and prayers and things like that. So, and I think the reason people liked it is because it was a lot more participatory. And so rather than necessarily replacing the whole thing, spreading it out and having it more interspersed where you're having more of those you know, meditational nuggets. Um, yeah. You know, that could be a stepping stone for other things, but um, what's, what's your, uh, what's your hypothetical? Well, now I want to yeah, know. So, so in my mind on this one, the thing I see is to your point, it is difficult. And I agree with this because I see this with micro learning all the time. People mm -hmm. are like, how do you take, can you take that 60, 90 minute concept? And can you say it in five minutes? And you're like, no, <laughs> I can't like, there's, there's more to it than I can just, I can't create a TikTok of that. Yeah. And so I don't necessarily think it's bad or that there's something wrong with the fact that pastors need 35 to 45 minutes to unpack the depth of what they're trying to do. But I look at what I think about the flipped classroom where I think about it and go, but why is it that people have to be there to cons the consumption part of it? Why can that not be something that you could consume at any point? So the pastor can still focus their attention on that content creation, that component of putting together your thoughts, putting in that long form thing, getting that out to people and saying, this is going to be the topic of this week. This is what we're going to be discussing. When we get together, it's going to be, the worship is going to be centered around this. The discussion is going to be centered around this the community elements, the serving, it's going to be around this. You need to consume it on your own time. But then also, and this is where the technology can help, people are going to have questions. And I know I deal with that with training all the time where facilitators are like, well, but we just answer questions and we can help people really kind of have those light bulb moments. And it's like, right, but wouldn't it be better? Because I just think of how different people's brains work some people can't do what you described earlier, which is listen, process, deconstruct. Like they can't do all that in one shot. So being able to process it, but then use technology to have some form of, hey, 
feed us the questions or the things that you're struggling with or what resonated, what didn't resonate with. And then to your point, the usual main course event, instead of we've got y'all live, let's use this to kind of like push it down and hopefully you're doing all these things. You've had time to consume that. You've had time to process, gather your questions. We've actually pulled some of the most common questions or challenges people are working through. Then that compressed time you're talking about, the maybe 10, 15 minutes, is more, these were the top things that came from our community that really either resonated or people struggled with. Here's the church leadership's perspective on that, how to think through this. Here's our, our time and, and how we would frame that. And then again, use that additional time that you've had. You've got everybody together. Now you can use that for community building. You can do other things like that. So it truly would be a flipped classroom model rather than saying, pack your 45 minute sermon into 10. And then we'll also, cause I can see that being to your point, pastors have been trained that way. That's the way it works. Yeah. And honestly, the Bible is complicated. It's right. very hard to go. Can you say that in a TikTok? N no. Yeah. I, I think your biggest challenge there is just really a culture shift for people. Um, it's a big culture shift. And mass, you know, I, I could see like it would be a challenge to do that with, you know, you know, we, we see it at work. We invite 20 people, less than 20 people to a training and say, hey, here's some pre-reading. Here's this. We're going to unpack it. Everyone gets there. You say, okay, who did the pre-reading? And, uh, and they're like two hands go up. Uh, <laughs> we're not ready. We're not prepared. Um, and so you, you, you put that up to, you know, 400 people plus on a Sunday. And, um, I think that's where but you on that your... one, on that one, I am a yeah. curious, your response to this, because I've dealt with that with trainers who are like, well, but people don't do the pre-work and it's like, so then don't design the experience for it to be dependent on it. Right. Like obviously you don't want to give people a pop quiz when they show up and go, you know, did you catch the seven points of the sermon? And yeah. they're like, Ugh, cause then people are going to flee. But I could see that actually, I mean, and I've done it in the past where people do come, maybe they didn't consume the part ahead of time. It doesn't go very well for them, but they engage in some really meaningful discussions, which ultimately drives them back to it yeah. after the fact, because they're like, I actually want to know what this was all about now because I missed it. And I've actually seen engagement post be really effective. Yeah. Well, and that's where, uh, you know, I, I framed it as a cultural shift. Um, and I know uh, churches, I mean, not everyone struggles with this. I know some churches do, some don't. But, you know, consistency in the face of something that looked like a failure. So if like your first yeah. Sunday is total chaos and your next Sunday is total chaos and your third Sunday is total chaos, maybe it's a little bit better. Who knows? You know, how long you know, the question that's going to be asked is how long do we stick with this before we say, okay, this approach isn't working or we need to reevaluate how we do this approach and move forward from there. Um, I think that's going to be the, the question. And every group is every, every congregation is going to have a different sort of answer for that. Cause there's different people there. Um, and you know, and it's and it can be intimidating to say, okay, here's my 30 to 45 minute sermon. Um, you know, see that ahead of time. Like, is it something that can be more of a here's a you know, we recorded it two weeks ago, we're working ahead, and we've broken it up into you know, five daily devotional chunks. Sure. You know, maybe that yeah. would help, you know. Which AI would be a great tool for. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, an AI would be a great tool to say, here's the chapters yeah. of the sermon. Yeah. Take one of these bites each week. We'll get together yeah. this weekend to talk yeah. about it. And then if you missed a bite, you know, at least you had other bites. <laughs> so you're not totally lost. And, you know, the other thing that I would also say, though, is um, another shift in my perspective that I encountered a couple months ago, probably now, was a pastor who was, you know, taking the position from the pulpit um, that uh, all sermons are milk uh, because you're, like you were saying, you're passively receiving it. And one of the distinctions between milk and meat isn't just the complexity and uh, of what that is, but also the fact that you're feeding yourself. You've moved on from receiving milk to feeding yourself, you know, this meat. And, and that's where, when I, when I talk about, could the sermon be 10 to 15 minutes? I'm not saying take that whole sermon, pack it in. I'm saying, take that whole sermon, pick a point, do that. Maybe focus on a single verse you know, read the context, focus on a verse, unpack it, have that be like a meditation and then work with that. So people aren't trying to process like this huge complexity in 10 to 15, which a lot of times it is. I mean, in 30 to 45 minutes, there's a lot that you can go through that can actually be cognitive overload for people. And so, I mean, that's another sort of um, thought process. I, because I know this is not my current church, but the church that I went to in the past, where we asked, hey, why why aren't we having our missionaries that are home on furlough? Why aren't they, you know, why aren't we ta- hearing from them from, you know, the front, you know, interviewing opportunity for testimony? And it was, well, you know, we give them 10 minutes and they, uh, you know, they usually go over and we have such a tightly scheduled, you know, program that, you know, even going five minutes over, it throws everything off. And my thought is, my first thought was, what do you have that is so important that you're going to say to us that you couldn't cut 20 minutes out of your sermon to give them the 10 minutes plus the amount of time they're going to go over and let us hear from them what's going on through the work that they're doing in you know, whatever country they're in. And that's, and that's, that's kind of been a thing that's swirled in my head, but I've also been on the side where I'm teaching and I know I only have 10 to 15 minutes. And I'm like, I don't know how to make this shorter. <laughs> you know? it's but, but I think that's where I look at what technology can do in terms of yeah. reimagining the possibilities of this, where even your example of the missionaries, let's say you got a couple of missionaries in town, if you're a church of any reasonable size, I mean, mm-hmm. any individual could build basically a studio for not that much to be yeah. able to do this. So, I mean, there's no reason why, let's say you have a few missionaries, you capture some of that testimony as a video that can be consumed, whatever, to yeah. your you know your membership to say, hey, here's an update from this group while they're here. We'd love to have you come on Sunday when we're all going to be together Come get to know them better. Come yeah. ask, you know, additional questions, these types of things. So again, you get away from this whole, well, we've only got 90 minutes, you know, total or 110 mm-hmm. minutes. We got to figure out how to fit all this in. Instead, it's like, well, strip some of that consumption components out, deconstruct it a bit and use the rest of the week to help build to that. But I think back to that example you gave of the, the kid who listened to Sunday sermons and it kind of drew them in. I can only imagine how much more that would draw people in if through this message, the whole thing was set up for 
if you want to come participate in our community and talk about this, meet other people who are also wrestling through this, this live day, we will be together to support each other and talk through. That would be such a bigger draw into the community versus, okay, I listened to it, it was really good, you know, but I don't really know anybody yet, or I don't really know what would be the value of me showing up, mm -hmm. maybe getting over the awkwardness of it. I just see so much potential to use technology for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're going to still run into, you know, you mentioned um, that particular story, but you know, how do we then, I guess the question back is how do we then engage those people who either aren't allowed to come or physically are unable True. to come because they got that during the week. Maybe they did the flip part. Maybe they did the pre-work and now they're hungry for that interactive component that oh, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk, like, we'll talk virtual community. We'll talk virtual community. That will be a topic that we're not going to get into here because yeah. that'll end up being a whole episode yeah. in and of itself. Cause that's, that's another thing that's difficult to drive in a it culture is. that isn't accustomed to it. And, no. um, and so, yeah, it's about how do we, again, like I, I, that idea of how do we pull it out, look at it and either say this works for us and it works for our community and it works for our church. Just set it right back in or you pull it out and you say, we're going to reconfigure it and then put it back in. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of been how, um, I've been processing it this week and, and you can do it with any part of what your church does. Um, in that context. But yeah, that sermon is really interesting just because it is, you know, when you think about it from that educational perspective, it is so unique in the, in the context of the whole service. So yeah, lots of, lots of ways think, to and, handle it. But I think to your point there's, and I'm curious your thoughts on this because I agree one, there's a big culture shift. I also see it being a skill shift though, as well. In that, and this isn't just on pastors, I see this with presenters and public speakers mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, in the industry that I'm in and the stuff I'm involved with, there are lots of people who they can be really dynamic, engaging presenters, so long as they've got their, like, I know what my bullets are, I know what my talking points are, I know how to handle that. But you throw them on a live stage where it's like, you're going to engage with the audience. You're going to take questions. You're going to facilitate discussion. That is a dynamically different skill set than a presenter. And I know when I've worked with trainers and we're moving them more towards the facilitator, those are skills they have to build because they don't, they're not used to that. They're used to like, I know what I have to say. I know how to say it really well. I know how to connect the dots and create an environment where people see it. Yeah. They don't necessarily have the skills of, kind of pulling people in, going on the fly, things like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think you talk about that and, and, you know, my first thought as you're describing it is, well, it shouldn't just be the pastor up there interacting with everyone. I keep picturing True. it more of, uh, and this is just the mental image I adopted without even thinking about it, um, was this idea of, um, you know, again, maybe there's that, meditative or devotional nugget or whatever it is that intros people in. But then you have like people interacting with their neighbors and asking questions from there. And yes. uh, the model, like the facilitation, when I think of Bible study as a facilitated thing, I think of inductive Bible studies where you have a person who leads that conversation in a meaningful mm -hmm. way. 
And that's where it's really important for a church to be able to equip the people that they have to do things like that. And so you have these people who are embedded, who are regular, who are there, who are committed, who without even being really asked may naturally fall into that facilitator category with the people that they're talking to. And if you're equipping a group of people um, and we'll just call them facilitators. If you're equipping facilitators, you know who those people are um, as a result of your equipping activities. And then you say, here, here's 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 the nugget. Here's kind of the, the framework. This is the passage. This is right. kind of the point that we're trying to drive the make. conversation. Um, you know, when you're when you're there with people and you break up into groups like this is this is the type of conversation we want to be able to entertain to be able to answer um questions in that space and and if and again i think i think this really does force you to work ahead more you do. more so than even the traditional model does is how are you engaging that group of people a week two weeks ahead meaning that you have like your framework for it you know, three or four weeks ahead, whatever that works for. Yeah. It backs the whole process and, and whatever, you know, how do you waterfall this in so that you're constantly at us in a state of readiness um, for those. And of course, church size then plays a huge, huge hand in how you make that viable. Um, whether it's, you know, like you had mentioned in a different call, conversation that we had about um another church is doing a totally different model that takes all these components and they actually physically split them around yeah. the campus and yeah. by virtue of that your groups get smaller and maybe that's a way to tackle it is say let's let's take all these important components let's split them apart um and then find a way of, to motivate people to interact with the different parts of it either throughout the day or you know on on varying weeks depending on where they're at and what their interest and what their souls uh calling out for um so on this one we'll probably wrap here yeah I'm curious because when i talk to people about this and talk about hey you know this technology can help with this this technology can help with this because i get mm -hmm. if you were to try and do this 20 years ago even 10 years ago it would have been like this just isn't gonna work very well now I feel like the, where the technology is, it's completely feasible. So the excuse of we can't is no longer viable, regardless of church size, regardless of, you know, whatever. It's like, well, you could. The question is, are you going to rethink what this looks like? From where you sit, what do you think some of the biggest challenges would be on that? Like, wh what would make a church go, instead of going, yeah, let's do it. Like this is work. We're going to have to deconstruct and reconstruct this and it might get messy and we might learn along the way. Like what would be the barrier for a church to go? Yeah, I don't think so. I think the first one is going to be, it's working fine as far as we're concerned. Um, okay. And maybe it is maybe for your specific congregation, there is literally no reason to change because people are happy with it. They're satisfied and that's what they want. Um, I think the secondary one is the one you mentioned about a skill gap to say, are we equipped to do this at our size, at our complexity? Do we own the technology we need to do this? Um, is do it going to know change? what it is to know how? Yeah. Does it change how our funding is? Cause you know, we can't afford zoom pro or whatever we need to do more than one hour chunks of that. Like how does this, um, 
affect all of that? And do we want to invest all this time and energy in the upfront to evaluate what it'll take to get us from here to there just to do it? And then maybe it doesn't work um, at the end of it. Um, and then, and then the other one is just, again, scale. Um, I mean, this is something where I think if you get into a manner and mode of it and it's working, it can be very scalable, but if you don't know how to do it, it kind of goes back to the skill gap or you're already at a big scale and you're trying to jumping just into the deep end on it and trying to figure out how to make it work at that size. Um, like trying to compose the strategy around it. Um, and knowing that you're going to have a lot of people who hate it just because it's different, you know, just because you it's different. Are you up for that fight? Yeah. Are you up for trying to change the culture in that way? Um, and you know, in many ways I really, I hear this and I think about things that I would like to see done in church, um, and even low tech sort of changes, um, that, um, gosh, it'd almost be easier to do church planting around this concept. So it's the it default than it is to change the course of some of these it. churches <laughs> just because, yeah. I mean, it's a big ship. And I don't think any of that speaks to a wrong heart or, no. you know, a sinful pride or any of that. It's just, it's hard decisions to make. And Well, and change is hard. Yeah. Ch change is hard and people are very resistant to it no matter yeah. what. So, yeah. Okay. So I think those well, are Well, I problems. think, okay. I mean, I think anybody who listens or watches this, who I actually, to your point, I agree from a, it would definitely be easier to start from ground zero and say, we are building it this way. Because then people also get to opt in. So the people who go be part of that are either like, I'm game for something different. Or they're like, no, thanks. And you're like, okay, that's fine. But that's what we're doing type of a thing. But I think there are ways that churches, and I would just encourage folks, we've, I think we've got our email address, futureofchurchpodcast at gmail.com. But I actually would be interested because I think there are people, and I've done this in large scale corporations where it's like, well, there's just no way we could change. Our leadership programs for this huge enterprise is just structured this way. And it's like, there are small tweaks that you can make that I just, I think you could make the sermon more participatory. Or even if you experimented with one flipped, one flip session where it's like, hey, let's do it this week. Let's break it up. Come, we're going to discuss it. And I think there's some ways people could try it without having to go, all right, we're going to blow up our whole church model. So I, I just think that resistance to change is sometimes overwhelming for folks. And I would encourage people just to at least be thinking about it. Because I think, while to your point, ideally, you don't want it to be a passive consumption experience. I think the way it's often set up, it becomes that whether you want it to or not, because there really is no opportunity to participate. And I think that's a huge opportunity and technology can make it much easier. Yeah, no, I agree. And, uh, okay. you know, you just need someone to coach you through it is, is kind of a, if you really want to reduce it down to adjust. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it'd be interesting. Like we said at the beginning, you know, It'd be great to hear feedback uh, and how this topic might branch out and how we might yeah. grow it. Um, do people want to hear other things, give some input? Um, it'd be great to know what people are thinking around this. Right. Um, given this conversation. Or even some of the challenges people yeah. face where they might go, I like that idea. I like yeah. what I heard described. Here's the impossible hurdle I see in yeah. front of me that I just can't seem to wrap my mind around. Yeah. Because 
I can see where you look at that and you just go, I don't know even where I go from there. Yeah. And I think there's ways around it. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Well, there you go. Episode one is in the can. And, um, so we will, we're getting together weekly, whether we'll push one out weekly or not for sure. I don't know, but we're definitely planning on at least every other week doing this. We did these two back to back. So at least we get two in the queue. So thank you everybody for watching, listening, Joe. I always enjoy our conversations. Yeah, so absolutely. we'll be back. We'll be back whenever it is, uh, with the next one and we'll figure out what that topic is. I won't spoil it now, but, uh, mm -hmm. thank you all. And, uh, we will see you on the other side. Yeah.